Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hey everybody, and welcome to today's show. It's March. Where did this come from? I'm so excited. I'm pumped. Um, the weather's turning warmer here in Nashville, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, I am not a big winter person, but how are you today? I'm really excited for today's show because we're going to be talking about how do I get started with a professional-grade lighting console. And so in a couple minutes, we're going to dive deeper into it, but I just want to give you a, a little taste to begin because one of the biggest questions I get from people is, is just this, how do I get started? They, they find a professional-grade lighting console, someone recommends it to them, etc., and it looks really complicated and confusing. But the truth is, it's, it's really not that complicated, nor is it that confusing. And, I, and I'm going to walk through today and show you how to get started with a professional-grade lighting console here on the show. So it doesn't have to be confusing, it doesn't have to be complicated, but there are a few concepts to understand first, and we're going to be going over those today. But first, we've got some lighting news. So I, I recently picked up the latest um, episode, not episode, what do they call these things? Magazine uh, installment issue, that's what they call them, of PLSN, which is a Projection Lights and Staging News. And it's usually a great magazine. And, and this month, they've got a lot of really good articles. So I'm going to link to this month's archives um, in the show notes of their magazine. You can get it all online and you can subscribe there. They'd probably love it if you do. Um, and it's free. It's it's advertiser supported. Um, but they've got some really good stuff that I just really wanted to highlight from this month. Uh, the first is they're, they're chronicling Elton John's uh, Farewell Yellow Brick Tour. Uh, Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. Say that 10 times fast. Um, it started last September and it's still going. And there was one line from their lighting director. There was a lot of good stuff in the article and I recommend checking it out. But there was one really good line that I want to recommend to you here. And uh, he talks about how he's running his show. Um, and of course, this is on a professional grade lighting console, probably a grand made too. Um, yep. And, um, but he says, you know, Elton, he's starting out, says, doesn't use any time code or click tracks. Okay. So, so the band is completely live. And I love that. I love when bands do that. Um, and he said, so basically, He's got cues set up that he works with, but then every type of light has an inhibitive fader control, um, as well as the video elements that he controls. He has inhibitive fader control over that, which allows him to manipulate every group of lights um, during the show without changing, without messing anything up in case Elton and the band are playing uh, faster or slower than normal. And so I just wanted to highlight that there because... Uh, when we're programming, especially if you're using a mid-level, um, an intermediate level, or a professional-grade console, a lot of times people feel locked in. And, and there's always this debate when you're programming lighting of locking everything into a queue versus allowing it to be free. Because when you allow things to be free and, and completely up to you on the fly, it becomes harder to make quick and definitive changes on the stage. Uh, but when you have everything locked into cues, you can make quick and definitive changes, but it's harder 
to change things. Um, if you decide on the fly you want to change something, it's harder to change something that's that's not already pre-programmed. And so I really love what they say here. And this is how I like to teach people how to program because um, it, it allows you, it kind of gives you the best world. So an inhibited fader, for those who might not be familiar, is a subtractive fader. So it's just like a master on an audio or a lighting console. And all it does is subtract. So you got to bring it up and then bring something else up in order to get output but then you can grab that fader at any point to subtract or, or add back in a group of lights. And, and I think these are one of the most powerful features on, on a lot of lighting consoles. Um, anytime I go to program a show, it's the first thing that I do is I make a lot of inhibitive, as, as many as I can make um, and still fit it on the console. So I was really excited to see that. Uh, next article, um, there was an LED ellipsoidal comparison that's actually really good. Um, sometimes, you know, these PLSN, um, this magazine, they always do these gear comparisons where they, they take a particular type of gear and, and they compare and they just put out this big chart with all these different lights or consoles or whatever. And to be honest, I don't always like these comparisons, but this one works uh, because a lot of times you you get this comparison and you just see all these different names of lights and a lot of times um, the various comparisons, the, the the attributes of the light that they're comparing don't really line up and aren't comparable between different lights because this manufacturer kind of gave this number and that manufacturer gave that number and they're on different scales and nobody converted them. And, and sometimes that frustrates me, to be honest. But this month they're uh, doing Leco's LED ellipsoidals and you know, what I like about these is this is not these buyer's guide that they put in is not um, an end all be all like I'm going to look at this chart and then go buy something. But what it does do for you is it allows you to see across all of the brands making lights. Hey, what are the specifications on, you know, these different lights? And then you can kind of if, if you're in the market for something like this, you can look at a buyer's guide like this. And you can narrow down your choices from a lot to, to just a few to say, okay, you know, these are the few that look like it would meet my needs. Now I'll go see them in person. I'll go talk to someone who who's going to um, be selling them, see if I can get a demo, uh, see what their opinion is, et cetera, et cetera. So a uh, big fan of that. It's a good article. Also, the Camsys Quick Q. So this is a new console um, that people have been asking me about, I've been asking me about, and, and I haven't seen it in person yet, but I, I want to. Because this is a console kind of like the Light Shark, which I talk a lot about. It's an intermediate level, one of these consoles that's that's come up in the market that is in between an entry-level console or software and something that's professional. And it's in a place where you know, there, there wasn't a lot of good consoles just a few years ago. And, you know, looking it over, I, I think it's a good buy. Um, I, I don't think it's better than the light shark we'll link to the light shark in the show notes on my page on, on what the light shark is and how much i love it um i don't think it's a rip i don't think it's as good as the light shark okay i'm gonna say that um but it's got some great features um and you know i think it's a solid console it's not gonna be my pick but um if you were interested in it you know i haven't actually checked it out yet but people who have used it seem to be happy with it uh, nook schoenfeld did this article and he seems to be happy with it uh, it has a screen built in as opposed to the light shark, which some people might like, and it also has RDM accessibility. And I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on a quick rabbit trail here about RDM. So, for those who aren't familiar, um, here in our news section, RDM stands for Remote Device Management, 
And basically, it means that instead of just normal DMX, which just kind of spouts out data at your lights and they listen, it's a two-way thing. And so you can change settings on the different lights from your console without having to get out of your chair, which is pretty darn cool if you ask me. So RDM is really cool in that regard. And, and one of the features that a lot of companies that are that are pushing um, RDM-based products and consoles that, that work with RDM, uh, what, what they generally push is... Um, is that you can re- you can automatically address your lights, meaning you just hook all your lights up to the console, you hit a button, and they all get patched, and you can control them on the console, which is pretty cool and sounds good, but I think it's oversold, okay? Track with me here for a minute. So a lot of people who are buying consoles like this, um, the ETC Color Source does it as well, uh, and, and there will be more to come in the future. But a lot of people who are buying this is for a permanent install, for maybe a church, for some kind of multi-purpose space, for a venue. And when you have a permanent installation like this, just think for a minute, and I was talking to a Lord and Sage Lighting Labs member about this the other week, just think for a minute about how often are you really going to readdress your lights? Chances are, if, if you've got one of these types of venues, school, church, whatever, you're going to address the lights once when they're installed, and it's going to go 10 years or more, the, the whole life of the lights, and you're never going to readdress those things. So just think about that for a minute. This, this RDM auto-patching is a really cool thing, and, and I think it's cool, and manufacturers are pushing it hard when they've got it built into their consoles, but... If you're not doing different rigs of lights every day or often and readdressing and changing the the uh, fixture profiles and stuff like that, then how much time does this feature really save you? What, it saves you, you know, an hour one time across, and that, that's over 10 years um, until you might need time saved again. So just for a minute, I'm always a big advocate here, which is why um, I, I, I purposefully limit the amount of um, influence that manufacturers make on learning stage lighting because I could do advertising deals and I could probably make a lot more money uh, a lot easier uh, a, a, and, you know, be doing this totally full-time. I'm very close to it, but but I could be comfortably doing it full-time probably if I took advertising from manufacturers. But, you know, this is one of the reasons why is that I think, you know, this console, I think other consoles are a great console. But a lot of salespeople, a lot of promotion people from these companies really push features like this RDM auto-patching. And it's cool because it's something that you used to not be able to do. Okay, great. But how much time does it really save you? The fact that it saves you an hour on an install, and then 10 years later, all you've saved is that hour, to me, doesn't make it worth the extra cost. So, uh, Camps is quick cue. Anyways, um, it, it's a great desk. You know, it's a, it's an interesting article. Um, I would definitely read it, but, you know, to be informed, um, and I read it for that reason, um, you know, it's a cool unit. But, you know, compared to my friend, the Light Shark, which I really like and I've liked um, since I first uh, laid eyes on it, is that, you know, this guy, um, it only has two DMX universes. That might be enough for you, might not, um, as opposed to, you know, the quick cue 
uh, or the, the light shark has eight, the quick healing is two, and um, the prices are, are, are a good bit higher. So, so um, just going to put that out there, but I think it's a cool console, and I think it's interesting, and it seems like they've done a great job with it. So it, it's probably not going to be my pick, but anyways. Um, and then the last thing, this actually, we're going to roll right into our main segment here on this last article. Isn't this beautiful? I was reading this the other day, and I had no idea this was a thing. So near the end of the, the, the magazine, is always an, a uh, column called Feeding the Machines by Brad Schiller. And he is really great at taking professional lighting console jargon and complex programming techniques and really breaking it down simply. And I love it. So he has this really great article called With Thanks to the DSKY. And the DSKY stands for Display and Keyboard. And so it's really interesting that he's just talking through here that the way that we work in professional lighting consoles, that most lighting consoles work, the way that we type in commands on lighting consoles and the syntax or the the terminology that we use for that is um, is actually was designed by NASA for the Apollo 8 mission in the late 60s. And so... I thought it was really interesting because I nerd out about this stuff and I've used lots of different consoles. And one of the things that I've noticed about these different consoles is they, they often take commands the same way. And, and I've always thought, well, where does that come from? Well, it's, it's how they've always done it, right? Well, it actually comes from NASA and, and they designed this display where you can see the command that's being typed out. And then this keyboard where, where you type and you add things in. And I thought it was just a really cool read just to, he, he really outlines the history of it, why we do it the way we do it, and how you can learn it um, yourself. So I think that is a super cool and a definitely worth checking out. All right, so today in our main segment, and we've already kind of pivoted over here, but how do you get started with a professional grade lighting console? So as I started off this, this podcast saying, if you've worked with some entry-level software or a lighting console or something like that, chances are the interface is greatly simplified and limited to something professional. So you might click different buttons to highlight individual lights or groups of lights. You might move faders up and down. You might press buttons. You might save them to, to buttons and things like that. You might press certain effects. And, you know, a lot of these simple or intermediate level consoles can, can do some great and cool things and make a good show. But often... A lot of people that, that I work with and, and that I talk to, and, and maybe this is you as well, they, they want to do something more. So they go out and they find their way into a professional level lighting console like Onyx, like Grand MA, like Hog, like Camsys. Uh, those are all ones that I've talked about before. My favorite is Onyx. I think it's the best uh, value here, but we're not going to go deep into that now. But I think they offer really the best value for a lot of people. Um, and I think it's a great platform. But when people then get into this console they realize that it's a world of difference from what they've used before. And truth be told, it, it can be a little overwhelming. And so today, I want to talk through what's different about professional grade lighting consoles and how you can learn. Because at the end of the day, I know because I've been teaching this now um, for, gosh, I started in 2012 teaching this kind of stuff. So seven years, dang, um, it's been a while. And, and, and as I've taught this to lots of people, I've come to realize that it's easy to be intimidated by the jargon, by the way the syntax works, um, as we were just talking about that DSKY syntax. But once you learn some basic terminology and, and understand the basic workflow, 
it's not that bad. And, and I've taught lots of people this stuff and I know you can learn it too. So let's dive in. So one of the first things that you're going to do when you program a lighting console is you're, you're going to have to type things in. Okay. And I'm going off my outline a little here, but that's okay. And commands inside the console are, are generally given with a command like source at target enter. Well, what does that mean? So generally the first thing that you're going to do is that your fixtures, your different lights that you're controlling are going to be assigned a number, okay? And you may assign those into what are called groups, or you may just keep them individual as individual fixtures. Doesn't really matter for the sake of this conversation right now. The first thing you'll do is, is type in, you'll select some fixtures, either with an on-screen button or on a keypad on one of these consoles. And then you're going to at them, you're going to then either press the at key and press a number, generally for the intensity level, or start to modify other parameters of the light, such as color, such as gobos, such as zoom, things like that, pan tilt. Um, and, and then the last thing that you'll do possibly is press enter. And once you've pressed enter at that point, you've applied what you wanted to to the console, uh, to the lights rather, through the console. And, and enter is not always required, but but this kind of gives you a general idea. So you, you select fixtures, you apply attributes, and then you end up recording that into the console. And so this can be a little bit different, especially when, when you're typing out numbers and stuff like that. It can feel a little foreign to people, but it's really not that complicated. So one of the first things you also need to know about um, once you kind of understand that basic syntax that a console uses, is that you're, you're going to have groups. So as I mentioned quickly before, groups are just literally quick selects or groups of, of lights. So you, you choose a bunch of lights, you press record on a lot of these professional level consoles, and you record that to a group. You just put that in there and you say, okay, I want this to be a group and I'm going to give it a name done. And then anytime you select that group in the future, you get exactly the lights you recorded. From there, we can apply attributes to our lights directly, but in a lot of professional grade consoles, what you really want to do instead of applying those attributes directly is you want to use presets or palettes as they're called in other consoles and occasionally called focus points. Um, and, and what these presets and palettes are going to do is presets and palettes um, and those two words are, are really interchangeable between different consoles on the market, is they're going to store some information about all the lights in your rig. They're going to store a color, a position, a gobo, and you're going to have saved that information to that preset or palette. And so you might be saying, well, David, why do I have to select the light, record these presets and palettes, and then go back and select that preset or palette uh, to, to then you know, go and record a cue. Well, the reason why you want to do things that way, and you don't technically have to, but you want to because, and this is a big because, because later, if you need to change something globally across the whole console, say a color, you just need to tweak it a little, you can go ahead and update the preset or palette, and every cue you make that was built from that is going to reflect that change. So that's a big deal. Um, once we select our presets or palettes, we get to cue lists. Okay, and cue lists, as I kind of mentioned, and cues are things that you play back. So it's really that simple. Select the lights, 
apply the presets or palettes and record them as cues or cue lists, um, list of cues. And then once you've recorded that, you're able to play them back. Now, if we're going to get a little bit more complex here, there are some other things that you need to understand. Uh, one of these things that you need to understand is a programmer. Okay, so what is a programmer? Well, a programmer is, well, let's step back a minute um, to make this a little bit easier to explain. When you're working in a professional grade moving light console, something modern like we have today, you can have things being played out to the stage. You know, you can have lights on, you can have stuff moving, whatever. And you can then select other things, make some changes, and record those other things as a cue. Now, one of the amazing, but also complex, and sometimes a little bit confusing things about professional-grade consoles is that when you press record and record a new cue or scene or sequence, these are sometimes called, when you press record on those guys, um, it doesn't record the total output of what's happening on the stage, okay? So not everything that you see gets recorded unless you specifically select it. And this is super duper powerful because now you can have lights up and on, you can be in a show, you can be in a rehearsal, you can have lights on for people, and you can be over there changing something else on your stage, record that, and record only the parts that you want to record so that you can have a lot of flexibility when you play things back. And the programmer is the place that these things live, these things that you're modifying but you haven't yet recorded um, generally are saved in the programmer, okay? And so that's that's really important to note. Um, one other thing that's kind of interesting is priority. So if you've worked with old school lighting consoles, and thankfully a lot of newer software-based, even entry-level stuff, uh, uses um, the modern form of priority. So the old school form of priority is called HTP, or highest takes precedence. And if you've ever used a lighting console with a lot of faders on it um, that was built for conventional lights, you'll, you'll understand how this works, okay? You might have a main fader that controls a given light, and you might have a submaster that has that light on it as well as a number of other faders. And you might go ahead and bring up that submaster to, say, 50%. Okay, so now the light's up at 50%, and some given light is. And then you grab the individual fader for that light, and if you bring that up to 25%, it's not going to move. But if you bring it up past 50%, because the submaster's got it at 50%, so you bring it up to 75 then the light's going to move up to 75 It's not going to be released or anything. It's not going to be let go of the submaster. It's just that you've passed the submaster now. You've, you've given it a higher value. And so at that point, um, you go ahead and you're good. You're, you know, you've, you've brought that level up. And so the, the, this works well for conventional lights. It works well for things that don't change color or have other attributes. But where this really breaks down, and you'll know if you've used one of those old school consoles to control moving lights or LEDs, and where this kind of becomes a problem is when you're controlling other things like movement because one position, one movement as opposed to another is not higher or lower, right? You know, pointing left is not higher or lower than pointing right. And so what are you going to do? You know, 
Um, and so one of the things that 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 they did to make this make more sense is latest takes precedence. And latest takes precedence means that the most recent thing that's been played, um, the most recent thing that has been played gets the output. So now, if you have two things, maybe you've got one fader that's got these lights on it full, and then you've got one that, that has them at 50%. Uh, we're not even talking about color or anything else here, though they all work the same way. So you go ahead and you um, you take it, you take your lights, and then you bring those guys, you, you press the 100%, and then you press the 50%. Well, they're going to go to 50% because that was the latest thing pressed. That was the latest take taking precedence. Um, and then you could press that full one again, and it'll go back to full. So um, it's a really cool way of working, but it takes a little bit of getting used to, especially if you've learned on the old way. I know for me, it was a major mind shift because I was working professionally in the lighting industry for a few years before I was introduced to moving light consoles and latest takes precedence. And let me tell you, it was confusing. It boggled my mind for a while. But then once I got it, I realized, oh, this is a better system. This makes sense. Okay, so uh, those are basically, when it comes down to it, the uh, most basic pieces of a professional grade lighting console. Okay, so, you know, what that ends up looking like is, um, you know, when you get on something like this, maybe you're considering moving to a professional grade lighting console, maybe you're not, um, then it's going to be a little easier for you if, if you listened here first to uh, be able to uh, really get going and really, um, you know, move quickly on a console like that. Now, if you do want more information, I know this was a short look into professional grade lighting consoles, but I've got a whole action plan inside of Learn Stage Lighting Labs called um, Professional Lighting Console Basics that covers what we covered here in more depth, but it also covers um, creating and, and using your first effects, you know, programming practically. We talk about, okay, you know, Sure, I understand, you know, these various concepts like tracking, like the programmer, like LTP and HTP, but but I share with you some of my top tips uh, in those videos on on how you can program things so that it, it works well and flows well in a show environment. You know, this is the stuff that you can't find in manuals that that I had to learn um, on my own or, or copy of other lighting designers, watch what they were doing to be able to learn these things. And I want to share that with you. It's all inside of Learn Stage Lighting labs all right so i hope you enjoyed today's show um in closing show notes are going to be found at learnstagelighting.com slash 056 for this episode 56 wow we've been doing this for over a year already and if you are new here head over to learnstagelighting.com slash quiz i want to get a free guide into your hand that that's going to help you start with lighting and really create some great stuff. And, and it's called a quiz because there's just a couple quick questions there that I, I ask you to fill out so I can send you the best guy that's going to apply to you and help you get started making incredible lighting today. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be answering your questions here on the show, and I'm really excited to do that. I always am, and I see my inbox starting to fill up, and so I know that we're going to have a great show. I hope you have a wonderful week and, and that you keep lighting and, and do something this week to improve your lighting. Apply something that you've learned here on the show and I'll see you back here next week. Thanks. And that's it for today's show. 
Thank you for listening to the Learn Stage Lighting podcast. Be sure to visit us at learnstagelighting.com to see show notes, past episodes, and download a free guide on how to begin with lighting in your specific context. I'll see you guys on the site. Thanks. Thanks.